Growing a small business has never been easy. So, how can we build our companies and shortcut the learning curve? By getting advice from the people who've done it before. Everything you need to grow your business is right here. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to the conference room. Good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. I'm joined by Alina Nikishina. She's a business coach and mentor and loves supporting those who are in the early stages of business ownership to lay down strong foundations, get organized and feel confident and lit up to show up each day. She brings over a decade of experience to the table from her years as a certified public accountant and launched a digital business from scratch a few years ago. Her passions include spiritual and personal development and connecting with like-minded people. Alina, good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. So every hero has an origin story and you're the hero of our story. So tell me a little bit about your backgrounds, you know, where you came from and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I'm originally from Russia. I grew up there till I was about nine years old. And then we went to America and got the really cool opportunity to come here. And I kind of had the traditional, I would say, upbringing of like, I don't know if you know of any other people who grew up in Eastern Europe, but education is very important. And kind of creating something like a going for a career that's really important to society is also important. So that's what I kept my mind on was like, I need to go to school, make good grades. I went straight to college from high school and decided for an accounting degree as my specialty. And here in America, it's pretty common for people to go for a certified public accountant certification. So for that, in some states, you actually have to get a master's degree. For me, that was the case since I was in Texas. So that's what I did. And it was just so linear, right? It's like, first you go to school, then you go, you get your degree, you get your certification, then you get a job. So went straight to go work for accounting firms. And, you know, kind of along my path, there were a couple of pivotal moments of kind of a fork in the road, right? Where it's like you could either continue on the same path that you've been going on or like you can do something completely different. So that's what happened for me. I say for me because it's been incredible for my personal development and growth. But it kind of started when I met this guy by serendipity. He was an owner of a smaller firm and he kind of allowed me to come into his business and helped him run the accounting firm. So I was doing accounting things like taxes and books, but I was also helping him do business development. So I was meeting all the new clients. I was training the team, like doing networking, like marketing, just creative stuff. So I really got a good sense of what it's like to kind of run a business without actually being a business owner. And all of our clients were small business owners. Prior to this, I was doing a lot of like big company stuff, right? So like Coca-Cola scale. So it was just really cool. I, I finally found kind of my sole clients. Yeah. Like I could really empathize, I guess, better with like a small business owner than I could someone like Coca-Cola. All of the primary sort of challenges that you were seeing small business clients that you had encounter, you really felt you could help with. Yeah. Well, as an accountant, I would say like even now doing some research on just how people feel about money in general. Part of it is just because we don't really have that education when we go to school. They know we learn about math and English and all of those subjects, but we don't learn about finances and taxes and things like that. So a lot of clients who came to me were just kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. Or they've been running their business for a few years, but they had done nothing in terms of organizing 
managing their finances. Did you find that this was a lack of knowledge about finances harming companies in any particular way? Was there something consistently you felt was coming up or was it more kind of broad spread? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like not really understanding if the company's even turning a profit or not. So I don't really know if I'm making any money or not or getting frustrated with actually having a tax bill, but having nothing to actually pay taxes with, right? It's like, I don't understand how I could owe money if I have no money. So it's really stuff like that that I helped a lot of my clients with. So get really organized and not have to kind of cringe when tax season comes every year. So you were doing that for a period of time and then what happened? So I went on vacation about four years later after being at this firm and I came back and the owner of the company said he sold the firm. So the guy who came in and bought the firm, we just kind of had differing ideas on what he needed for a role such as the one I had and what I wanted for my role. So I knew that I would kind of move on and do something different. So me and my previous boss, we were talking about an idea to create education for our small business clients to learn about kind of the the top questions that were asked every day as small business advisors. So, you know, do I need an entity? Like, how do I read my financial statements? How do I get started with marketing? I don't know anything about sales, like those foundational aspects. So we wanted to create education so that they can kind of learn it on their own and we could become their consultants and advisors to support that. What we did is we created a separate business together, actually left my job to create this business out of nothing. And yeah, about 18 months later, we had a program that we launched and we worked with other advisors in the industry to bring this to the market. After this program was finished, there was a lot of things at play that I'm kind of not going to get into here, but like there were a lot of things at play and I decided to move on. So that was last summer of 2020. And that was my second fork in the road. It was kind of like, okay, you have just spent the last 18 months after leaving a really comfortable job, right? That you've held for like a decade that gave you benefits and a really nice salary, all these things and security, right? All these things that you think that you've valued your whole life to pursue something completely different you've learned so much about yourself. You've uncovered this like creative bone inside of you that you didn't know you had. You've learned to live on a lot less money (laughs) and take risks, right? So it's like, what do I do now kind of thing? And I knew that by that point, I was like, I don't think I want to go back to accounting, which was just crazy for me. It was like spending all that time being in college, but also studying for that exam. And it was a tough one just to say like, okay, that's my old life now. I'm going to go ahead and do something that I don't even know what I'm going to do now. So I started to think about it. And actually, prior to leaving this partnership, I was working with a coach for a year and she really helped me. Like the reason why I hired her is just because I was going through a complete identity crisis. Like I don't know how to act as an entrepreneur, even though I knew how to advise entrepreneurs and consult with them on financial matters. I had no idea what their life was actually like. And what I've come to learn is that just employment and entrepreneurship are two different games completely. Like they have two different rule books. And my entire life prepared me to be a good employee. How did you adjust to becoming an entrepreneur? And like you say, I agree with you. I think that entrepreneurs are wired differently. You know, they prepare to take responsibility for failure as well as success, prepare to fly without a safety, you know, without a safety net, knowing that if they fall and crash and burn, they've got the kind of inner belief, some would argue stupidity, to just pick it up and carry on. As opposed to people who are wired to be employees generally want to sleep at night, need to know where their next meal is coming from, need to know where their next rent payment's coming from 
from, need to know where the next customer and invoice is coming from. So how did you emotionally cross that chasm? Over time, right? That's the answer. Because at first I, I was freaking out. I'm like, you know what? There were so many moments where I was thinking like, this is not for me. This is not who I am. I'm just a really good rule follower. Like I'm a good employee. I should just go back to being an employee. I like things to do. I like having structure. I fought it. But at the same time, there was like this aspect of it that was like, wow, you get to create your day. Like you get to start working whenever you want. You decide what your intention is today and like how you're going to react to things and what you're going to choose to do. Like as I was building this educational program, I was having a lot of fun with it because I got to put in like all these creative elements into it. Like it was a crazy program. I don't know if you know much about e-learning, but there's a lot beyond just recording a video. I know how much more work goes into it than just sitting in front of a camera and hoping somebody else knows how to press record. For sure. Everything from defining what's in the course, from scripting it, recording it, editing it, marketing it, getting the price point right. And even before all that, researching what needs to go in the course in the first place. I also created fun little games. Like I knew that a lot of the topics that I was talking about were like not sexy. A lot of people don't want to learn about like balance sheets. And I created like little fun animated videos. I made like little games in there. So anyway, I had fun and it was like, wow, I can actually do something creative. And it's like, what other job can I just like have full creative opportunity that's open to me, right? There are a lot of things that were just like, keep going, like this is here for you. And that's really when I stopped fighting it because I was like, there's something here. Like I'm being challenged for a reason. And the reason why I'm being challenged is because this is one of the most pivotal moments in my life of like, are you gonna go back and do what you've done your entire life? Or are you gonna like start to do things differently and become a whole different person? Like you're right, Alina, you're not the kind of person who can do this. So what do you need to do in order to become that person? That's what's like happened for me. And I started listening to certain people in the online industry who started speaking that language. They were like, most of us are not wired for entrepreneurship. And when I heard that, it was almost like a wave of relief of like, okay, so I'm not just, you know, predestined to be a good employee. To me, that was like eye-opening because I feel like there's so many stories that we tell here in society of like, well, they're just not that kind of person, right? Some people are and some people are not. Some people are just not cut out for it. And like, I don't believe that anymore. As humans, is our ability to evolve beyond our limitations, you know? What separates us from the birds and the beasts is the fact that whether you believe in evolution or creation or whatever, I mean, to one side, the simple truth is that we have amassed a lot more knowledge about the world around us today than we had 500 or 1,000 years ago, where a gorilla today has just the same level of knowledge and intellect that a gorilla of 500 or 1,000 years ago. And, and I think what makes us human is our ability to develop beyond which we were born with. And you've absolutely hit it on the head. It's so powerful to remember that whatever you are cut out for, that may be your destiny. It may not be, you know? I mean, how many people have won Oscars who were not natural filmmakers? How many soccer players surrounded go, I wasn't actually that good when I was a child. And you went on to win the World Cup. Or how many tennis players have won Grand Slams when they weren't actually that good as kids. They just really applied themselves and decided that's what I want to do and pursued it. That's also my question, right? When you begin to kind of look at it like this, like, oh, women don't have the same opportunities or something like that. Or you can make any kind of circumstantial statement under the sun, right? Like all odds are against me. But then you look at people whose odds were against them and yet they still succeeded. So how is that possible for them? And why is that not possible for me or other people? Absolutely. You look at people like Sylvester Stallone, who was a failed actor, was homeless. Apparently the story goes that he sold his dog for $25 because he was starving. He was sitting outside like a bar or something. And he saw a Muhammad Ali fight and thought, you know what? I've got the story 
story inside me. I'm going to write it. And he wrote this story as a screenplay. His screenplay was rejected many, many times, but he just camped at it. And then he was offered, yeah, okay, someone will buy the screenplay off you for $300,000, but you can't star in it. You know, we're going to get a known actor to play the main title. And he said, no. He goes, I'm only selling this if I get to play the main role. And eventually somebody picked it up for a tenth of what that first offer was. So the story goes. It was like, the first offer was like $300,000 and they said they'll do it for $30,000, but you can star in it. And it went on to be one of the highest grossing movies of its time. He won an Oscar for best screenplay. And of course it was Rocky. And that was, that's what made his career because he just kept going. I love that story. But it's such an inspirational story. I heard him speak and he said, the only thing you can control is how hard you work. You cannot control anything else. You can't control where you were born. You can't control how much money your parents give you. The only thing you can control is how hard you work. There's no question that this is a guy who was hugely successful in bodybuilding, publishing. He wrote the book, all right? He was a millionaire in real estate even before he started in his first movie. And then obviously he dominated the movies in the 80s and 90s, became a governor of a major state in America. So there's a guy who knows the value of hard work. Exactly. And, you know, maybe you could look at people like that and say like, wow, well, they're one in a million or like one in a thousand or something. But like, it's available for each of us. Maybe not like a governor of California necessarily, even that. But like, whatever it is that you want to create in your life, you are the only thing holding yourself back. And yes, some circumstances can make it dramatically harder. I'm not battling that or like not arguing against that, but you still can influence how you play in that circumstance. How do you behave? How do you react? Do you keep going or do you quit? Do you decide that you're the kind of person who is better for, in my case, do you decide that you're just better off as an employee and go back, right? Knowing deep down inside that like you were meant for more. Cause I had that feeling, I would say pretty much all along my career. And I just stuffed it down. Cause I was like, I'm making my parents happy. I'm making society happy. I'm making a good salary. I have good friends. I go on vacations. I pay for my things. Like it's so easy to just talk yourself back. You said, I made my parents happy. I made society happy. I made money. The one thing you never said was I made myself happy. Yeah. And this is the kind of stuff you start to wake up to, right? When the universe slaps you in the face. goes like, here's something different for you. So once you'd kind of transitioned into this sort of mindset, what was the next step? Yeah, I was telling the story about working with the coach. The space that she held for me was just phenomenal. And I just remember thinking like, wow, this almost feels like therapy and the fact that like I'm taking time out for myself to figure out what's going on inside my brain. But like she helped me access my inner wisdom so that I could get resourceful and figure out my next steps for myself, right? This is partly why I felt inspired to become a coach myself because the people element was always present for me as in like no matter what helping people was my favorite part of my career it wasn't the filling out the tax return or learning the rules or it was seeing people talking to people and helping people and I thought like well if I'm into self-development and growth and I love helping people what's a good career option for me so that's that's when I decided to go into coaching and then I actually pursued my certification in coaching so I'm about to finish it in a couple days actually so it's been since November and just dramatic change over the last year. Pretty much as soon as I decided to go into coaching, I was called down to Texas for my mom was just not doing well. And she actually ended up passing away in October of last year. Yeah. And so like that opened up a whole new awareness of like what's important in life. And gosh, it was just such a spiritual moment for me of like, 
why are we here and what are we here to do and what are we capable of it made me like think about all that so i bring it up here because it was just pivotal to my life no good for you most people start their working life in their 20s hope to retire in their 60s you know how well am i using my 40-year career you know am i doing the best with it am i enjoying it am i giving the world around me the best of me so what are the primary things that you assist your clients with what are the main kind of points that you address yeah, so that's a great question. I've been kind of searching as to like what would be a really good way for me to serve. You know, that's the other thing is like when you go into a new business and you're not really sure, people around you start going like, oh, you should do this and you should do that. And everyone around me, of course, was like, hey, you're an accountant, Alina, like go be a money coach, right? Go tell, help people with money. And I agree that I have this skill and I have this gift. So I actually created a course. It's called Quick and Painless Finances. So it's like the foundational knowledge that every business owner should know on managing money in their business. And I created this winter. So that's out now and available. But like, as I was creating this, I was thinking, you know, this is good and I should share this, but I know that this is not going to be the main focus of my business. Like I'm not going to build my entire business around financials. So I was kind of feeling actually a little bit lost and just like, is it marketing? No. Is it sales? No. Like, what do I want to do? And as I started to really ponder on this question in a more positive way, and this kind of goes to like the whole purpose thing, you know, people around you may talk about having a purpose and like how they found it and in my head it always just sounded like you know the clouds parted and the sun came out and like there was this big aha moment where it was like this is your purpose and this is what you will do for the rest of your life like I was just kind of starting to feel sad I'm like I don't have anything like that no major moment has parted like that for me but then it's like why are you here you know it's it's to help people it's to make it's to create expansion in other people's lives and what are you really interested in and I've really gotten into like subconscious programming and by that I mean like working with your subconscious brain to create the life you want so that's really the direction that I'm going in now right now with my clients I work one-on-one -on -one and it's primarily just coaching like and coaching to me is we create the plan together and then I help you get resourceful by asking you powerful questions it's not about me laying out a plan and telling you what to do and I will share my experience as a mentor but primarily my coaching style is very much like you tell me what you want to work on and I'll help you get there through your own inner wisdom it's great. It sounds like a really good balance, practical in kind of tax and finances and that yeah. sort of thing, kind of emotional, where it's like, you know, is this what you really want to do? The program that we do at Sleecy Academy, the online program we do there is about helping people find the job that's going to make them happy. In the very, very beginning, the first module I created was helping people figure out what that job's going to be. So know what you want to do is really the first step of having success in obtaining it. So when you're advising your clients, what are the key things they might want to implement when they're initially starting up a business and then maybe things they might want to start thinking about two, three, four years down the line. Yeah. And I would say with regards to financials specifically for no matter what stage of business you're in, I would recommend looking at your money stories. So that's kind of the same thing, like going back to unlearning, like what we know to be true about money as employees or even growing up to what that means as an entrepreneur. For example, like when I was an employee, I didn't have to think about it. Like money just came to my bank account because I got paid for my time at my work. Right. But like an entrepreneurship, money can come unexpectedly. It does not have to be a direct reflection of your work. So I guess leading with strategy to earn money might only produce temporary results for you. Like it's not necessarily always a numbers game. It's not necessarily if you follow this strategy that this successful person told you will work to make your business successful, then you'll be successful because a lot of us try and we don't get successful. We are the strategy fails. 
And I think a lot of it is mental. So focusing on your mindset and energy with money, no matter what stage of business you're in, can really assist you in having it actually flow to you. Kind of like it did for me when I was employed. So what things people do that will encourage a more healthy money mindset? Yeah, I think a fun exercise for people to do would be like to write a letter to money as if it's a person in your life. So I wrote down some questions here to write about like what feelings and thoughts come up around the topic of money in general when I think about it. How do you feel about giving money and paying bills? How do you feel about donating money? How do you feel about receiving it? Like when someone gives you an unexpected gift or pays for your dinner or when you have to make a sale, do you like sales or do you hate sales and why, right? How do you feel about managing your money? So when you have to do your taxes or like go look at your budget for the month, like how do you feel about that? What patterns do you notice? Do you notice that it like comes in and then it goes right out or does it come in and you like hoard it or do you just constantly not have any or do you have plenty and it cash piles up in your bank account? Like whatever your circumstances around money is a direct reflection of what's happening mentally for you as I'm coming to learn. Wow. I think about money very, very, very rarely. I think about different businesses have different metrics of success and it's those metrics that I can control. Okay. So for example, in my headhunting business, our metric, the only thing we can control is how many interviews we set up. I can't control how many of those interviews are going to be successful because I'm not the guy making the decision to hire. I'm not the guy making the decision to be hired. Okay. On our coaching and digital education business that we have, the metric there is how many people register interest in looking at our programs. We can't control how many of them sell, but the more people that visit the website, the more people that come on that we can control because that's more about how much traffic we're generating. How much of that traffic converts, but no control over that. I can make a really good guess and say, okay, that thing over there will have a, a relatively high conversion rate because we've done all the right things. But all we focus on is what we can control and how much money we earn. It's not even a secondary thing. It's like a tertiary. I mean, there's so many things that get in, not so much get in the way, but kind of interfere with the signal of how much money we're going to earn. We just, I don't focus on that at all. Yeah. You hit the pet nail on the head. Like, what are you focusing on? Right. Even better if money can flow to you in, in many unexpected ways, mm. like even expanding your focus to like, it could come from anywhere. Like someone that you worked with that really liked you could refer a bunch of business to you and you could never control that. Like, I mean, sure, you did a good job for them. You could argue that. But like, did you say, hey, I need you to refer me to 10 people? Like, no, they're going to refer you and then you're going to get opportunities that you never even thought were possible. Right. Absolutely. I completely agree. And also in in a similar vein, one of the best pieces of business advice I have ever been given is never to rely on one source of income. Always have multiple sources of income and make sure your businesses and them for you personally and make sure they are not governed by the same market forces. So I could say, oh, I've got a recruitment company over here that does this and a recruitment company over here that doesn't and a recruitment company over here that does this. But if they're all in the same market and their success is proportionate to the same factors, then they might as well be the same thing. But if I've got, I don't know, a recruitment company and a hair salon and a, I don't know, a soft drinks business, they're all in completely different markets, then my financial stability is more secure because something that hurts one market isn't necessarily going to hurt the others. Yeah, that is pretty smart. Or like finding ways to branch out your business, not even necessarily having different businesses in different industries like the pandemic was really hit with people who had in-person businesses right like so if you could have brought your business online or had like branches of your business that earned you passive income like online courses or things like that it's still part of your business just different offerings that maybe are more recession proof or like more pandemic proof now yeah we definitely found that was one of the reasons that we pivoted and created the online education business because back in kind of q2 of 2020 very few people were hiring so we needed to find something 
something else to pivot towards. Otherwise, you know, who knows what would have happened? And we were very, very lucky that we found something that was almost kind of counter-cyclic to what we were doing. So it worked out really well. So money mindset is obviously important at the very beginning. How does that change as a business evolves? I would say like any level of your business, like if you're not where you want to be financially, I don't care if you're earning a thousand dollars a year or a million dollars a year and you want to have more and you're not getting to that next level for some reason, I would look there before I would look at more strategy just because this goes into a whole new conversation. And so the world and what you focus on, as you just mentioned, matters. So how you treat money matters. It's a direct reflection of how it comes back to you. And so whatever is going on in your situation, if you're not completely satisfied before trying another strategy that might not work, I would look at your mindset and see what you can tweak there. I remember five years now, we saw a massive uptake in our business. It was like 2013, 14 and 15 were a bit wobbly. 2016 was just huge, right? Mm. And basically I can absolutely pinpoint what made the change from 16 onwards to this day. I read an article. I can't even remember who wrote the article or where I saw it. I read it on Christmas day. And I remember it was like, I've got some time, you know, the business was, the office was closed. And I just took time to read this article. It was one of those things kind of popped on my feed. And then it was, it was talking about your financial thermostat, which is something you may be familiar with. The whole idea of the people set their kind of financial thermostat in a particular place. And when they kind of hit that amount of whether it's money or success or, you know, metrics, whatever it is, they just stop. And the problem is that people set the high-nash thermostat, their break-even point. The problem is that if in the next month they don't do quite as well, then they're in the red. And if the next month they don't do quite as well either, then they're in the red too. So they said, one thing you can do if you find you're in this situation, decide right now that instead of needing to earn X every month, you need to earn 2X or 3X and build all of your metrics against that rather than against your break-even point or your break-even plus 20% or whatever. And I did. And everything changed. It's the most crazy thing. But all down to reading that article and actually and taking it seriously and thinking, yeah, that makes sense. So rather than thinking, right, we need to earn X, you know, our costs are this. So we need to earn that plus 20% so we're making a profit. It was like, no, I need to earn three times that. But seriously, we saw immediate payoff in January of 2016. It sounds like once you decide something, then you like go for it. I can like see it and your hear it in your voice. It's very convincing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> People in general, I hope so. But yeah, I'm quite a decisive individual. You know, that may not be the case for everybody. Like I know for myself, when I was first starting out, like I, I was terrified of sales. And it's kind of like saying, I want to be a successful business owner, but I don't like sales. I used to say things like, I'm not here because of money. And what I meant by that is that my primary focus for being in business is not money as in like, I care about people too. You know, yes, I understand I want to make a profit, but I'm here because I'm passionate about this. And what I've started to say is just like, no, delete that language out. Like money creates expansion. Money allows me to create more expansion in other people's lives. And that's my mission. So I'm no longer going to say I'm not here for money because I value money. I have a very similar kind of process in that my recruiting firm is expensive. Okay. We're one more sort of premium brands in the market. Our digital business is expensive, but we're not doing it because we want to make a fast buck or so we can turn more profit and everyone go off and live on a yacht somewhere. It's purely because the more revenue that we generate means the more resources we can devote to improving the lives of the people we seek to serve. It's that simple. Now, if it means I get to go on a decent vacation once or twice a year, hopefully not the people whose lives I've improved won't begrudge me that. But, you know, this isn't just about, you know, consignment by a third yacht. As a brand, increase the amount of resources we can invest in the people we seek to serve. Exactly. So, but yeah, just looking at that kind of thing, I would say that's first. But I had a few main things where I would say in your first year. So starting to work 
with someone, I would say as soon as possible, people ask me that a lot, like, when do I need to hire an accountant or a lawyer? My favorite saying, there's no Chinese proverb, right? What is the best day to plant a tree? 25 <laughs> years ago, the second best day today. Yeah, pretty much all this advice is if you're actually serious about starting a business and it's not just a hobby that you're dabbling in and you intend to make money and you want to do things correctly, like hire help. Unless you already know, that will help you get the foundation set up. So I mentioned my course, I believe it was earlier, right? It really teaches you kind of the basics of what needs to happen in the very beginning stages and how you can help yourself get organized for the future. So things I talk about are like, you know, figuring out if an entity is right for you, separating your business from your personal. So not treating them as one piggy bank. That's really going to be important for you too. If you have an exit strategy, like trying to sell your business to someone or get an investor, I can almost guarantee you that if you co-mingle your funds, you're going to have a really hard time setting up some basic systems of tracking. So your expenses and your income money that's coming in. If you're profitable, as in like, if money is coming in, start saving for taxes. So maybe in your first couple of years, you might oversave, right? But as you begin to work with advisors, you're going to understand your situation better. What would you say would be a reasonable amount to be putting for every dollar they're making in profit? How much should they be putting in a separate savings account? Yeah, it's hard for me to answer because really seriously, everybody's financial situation is different. So it's like, if I give you a percentage, then you might undersave or oversave. If you overpay, you'll get it back. But if you underpay, you're going to have a bill, right? Is there any kind of guide you would say? I talk about that in my course, but right. I mean, there's several different ways of like figuring out how much you need to save. You could either like actually work with an accountant quarterly. Uh, if you want a better actual figure, that's probably going to be the most accurate for you. There's like calculators online that you can use. I think the IRS has a calculator that you can plug in your numbers and they'll calculate something for you. You can also use a percentage as you were saying, if we were just have like a probably more conservative on the tax and let's say like at least 15% for federal, at least I work in a state where I have state tax. So 5% for my state tax, so that's 20 already. And then we have 15.3% the self-employment tax, the FICA and social security. So, I mean, that's like 30 something percent. I know that sounds very conservative. Most people I would say probably save between 15 and 35%. Right. We're not giving tax advice. Yeah, education. Sure. Okay. In addition to kind of getting those foundations started is kind of starting to learn more about your money, right? So how do you read financial statements? What is a profit and loss? And is my business turning a profit? How do I tell? What's a break even, as you mentioned? And understanding your industry margins, like depending on which industry you're in, a lot of industries have kind of proven metrics, right? If you're not at a profit margin that's like 40%, you should really be looking at like your workforce or I'm just talking numbers, you know, I'm not mentioning anything industry. But like, how do you find these metrics? You could either work with a financial person who specializes in your industry, or you could like ask successful people in your industry what their profit margins are. Most people typically share what they've experienced. You could also like join associations. If you're in the restaurant industry, there's a bunch of associations in any industry really. So asking around like, what's my comparable size business? What's a good profit margin? Or like, what's a gross margin, right? So kind of pulling up KPIs. So that's kind of what I'm mentioned before, like, what do you want? I know that you may have just started this business in your first year, right? It's like, why would I prepare for the exit? But like, start thinking about it now because your actions reflect on your strategy. So if your strategy is to sell in the next five to 10 years, what do you need to start doing in your business in order to make that happen? I'll tell you uh, a few things. Don't co-mingle. No matter what, don't co-mingle if you plan on selling. So people like to buy businesses that they can just walk into and things are working smoothly without the owner having to be completely involved. Or maybe you don't want to 
to sell. Maybe you want to like be in the business 100% forever, or maybe you want to phase out at some point. Maybe you want to create a retirement plan for yourself or create a legacy plan to where, you know, your children or someone else in your family takes over one day. So like, how can you begin to create a strategy around that, right? Well, let's see if I can sum up the two to five plus years. As you go along, you're going to start to have comparison data. So year to year, month to month, quarter to quarter, what's happening in your business? Do you have kind of a seasonal business? So do you earn more money in some months than you do in other months? And how does that impact your cash flow? So cash flow is a whole separate conversation, but like my biggest advice here is like stop making decisions from your bank account because it's just the worst possible figure you can use to figure out if your business is profitable or not. I get that may seem kind of strange, but unless literally you only have money in from your sales and money out from your expenses and you have nothing else, like you don't ever pull money for yourself, you know, you don't ever inject money, you don't get any kind of loans, like you don't have any receivables or payables or like any of that kind of stuff, the bank account's the worst figure. And figuring out how much cash you need, not just to break even, but to save for the future as well. And I think that's what you were talking about too, right? Like how to create decisions based on what you actually want to be earning, what you want your business to be, but also like spending it resourcefully. I would recommend a book called Profit First for anybody who hasn't read it. So it's kind of new agey as far as like some accountants might not agree, but other accountants are like, yes, this is amazing. What he talks about is kind of like an envelope system. So by that, I mean, like, I think they used to call it grandma's envelope system. Like grandma would get paid a thousand dollars and she would put 200 bucks in an envelope to go grocery shopping. And that's all she had for groceries. She couldn't spend more, but like she made sure that she would not spend more. And so that's what he kind of recommends to do in your business is like cut yourself off, pay yourself first. No matter what, your business is going to turn a profit from day one, he says. Well, from the first day you start earning your dollar, of course. But Mm. like he always says, like, take some for yourself first and then pay other people. Because if you always pay other people first, you're going to find that you're not spending your money resourcefully and you never have enough left for you. Maybe you won't purchase that fancy equipment or like try that new marketing strategy that you may or may not work, right? Like put a bunch of money in ads. I know that there's a fine line between like investing in your business and investing or giving back to yourself. But I think that there's some sound advice there. Absolutely. hundred percent. So profit first, do you know who wrote that? It's Mike McCallowicz, I think. Okay. And then like going forward, I mean, scaling your business, start to price your services and offerings, your products that eventually you can actually start to scale your business. So scaling requires typically a team of some kind, not necessarily employees, but like hiring help. So if you never price your offerings to account for that, you're never going to be able to afford it. Right. So like start to think about that. And once you have your team, as you were talking about previously about KPIs, you can actually assign each team member a KPI to manage. So if you have a salesperson that you hire, like what might be the best KPI for them to manage in order for them to be like successful? Is it the number of meetings? Is it the number of like the percentage of conversion prospect to clients? Like what's going to motivate them the most in order to be most successful? Maybe like number of meetings may not be so good because then they'll just be like, oh, as long as I book a hundred meetings on the schedule, then I'm good. But like (laughs) if their conversion rate is like 2%, not great. Right. Let's see. And creating like passive of income sources and autom- automating processes. And then at the end, I think I wrote that just if you do want to sell the business, make sure it's actually sellable. So like meet with a broker, discuss what it takes to have a sellable business, create turnkey systems, make sure your financials are clean. Great stuff. Okay. What's next for you and for your coaching business, do you think? Yeah. So what I want to focus on next is creating kind of like a school of unlearning because this is the process that I'm going through and it's helping me so much. And I would say specifically for entrepreneurs, you know, it's only 
funny because I think a lot of people have a path like mine, right? Like most people go to school. Most people become employees, I would say. And it's just what we learn, the processes that we learn in school and the processes that we learn as employees, like support those processes, right? It's like repetition, memorization, following rules, raising your hand, not questioning authority, all these things support that path. And that's totally fine. But like, if you want to be a courageous, brave business owner, who's going to be a trailblazer and put new ideas out into this world, those that people will probably disagree with, like you will likely encounter things like imposter syndrome. Like who am I to go out there and do this? What if people reject me? It's going to happen. And it's just kind of figuring out how you can push through those self-sabotaging blocks and create a new identity that says, I don't really care. Like, I know that I used to be a person that did all this, but now I'm a person that does things differently. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I wish you were genuinely every success with it. So how can people find you if people wanted to access your programs or work with you as a coach? What's the best way for people to get in touch? Yeah, I would say I'm pretty active on Instagram mostly. So hey, Alina N is my handle. And there you'll find little links to where you can find the programs that I currently have and how to work with me on one-on-one. We'll make sure that we post all the links to your programs and to your social profiles uh, in our show notes. Alina, thank you so much for joining us here on the conference room. It's been a genuine pleasure to get to know you, to learn about your journey, your passion and your coaching programs. And I wish you all the very best. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Simon. It was great. Coming up next week on the conference room, I'll be talking to email marketing wizard, Bev Feldman. I always recommend at the very least having some sort of small welcome automation. So deliver that free thing that people signed up for, but then also send a series of emails after that, that provide really helpful content to your subscribers and are addressing the pain points that they might be facing. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes, plus links to the resources mentioned during the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you subscribe so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, please take the time to review the podcast so that more people who want to grow their businesses can find us. To talk about this or any other podcast, or in fact, anything business-related whatsoever, find me on Twitter, at Simon Lader, or you can find me by searching for Simon Lader or Silesia Academy on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm always open to a conversation. Thanks for listening to the conference room. Until next time, keep talking.